to episode 111 of the Various and Sundry Podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who indulged his smoking habit during the Super Bowl, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well, it's a Monday afternoon when we record this, day after the Super Bowl. Most called in sick day of the year. Do you think the fact that it's also Valentine's Day has any additional impact on that? Probably not. Probably not. No, I don't think so. I think people are stayed up late watching the Super Bowl and therefore aren't going to aren't going to work today. Yeah. Okay. Stayed up late though. The game was over at ten o'clock. Yeah, I guess that in my mind that's code for drank too much. And okay, that's, <laughs> and, uh, that's that's what I wanted to clarify. Yeah, yeah. Would you be in favor of moving the Super Bowl to a Saturday night? That's that's often been talked about in recent years. Of yeah, I think so. I, I agree. I agree. So, in any case, um, that's what's going on. Today's Valentine's Day. Today's Valentine's Day. Got big plans with the misses. Um, I mean, probably eating leftover Super Bowl food tonight. That's probably most of the plan, but we'll do, we'll, we'll pick up some flowers and some candy on the way home. Okay. Okay. Nicely played. Nicely played. Well, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at V and S pod, email the show various and sundry podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on YouTube, and we would still be appreciative of you leaving a rating, a five-star rating, please. Yeah. Any new five-star ratings? Probably? I did not look for before today. I've, I've become cynical on that. Um, and also a review would be great. So on whatever platform you, you access the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Though I think we tend to primarily check if – do we check anything else? I only check the the Apple I check the Apple app. one. I yeah. I, I hear so. Spotify just started a new like you can review things on Spotify. Oh. So okay. I know we have some Spotify listeners out we do? there. If you yeah, uh sure. if you listen on on the Spotify. The Spotify? The spot yeah, we're so we're ranked number two, I think, on Spotify, right behind Joe Rogan's podcast. Yes, and we're gonna catch him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yes indeed. Yes indeed. But you can leave a review there as well. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, there, there have been no calls to cancel our podcast from uh, from Spotify yet. I, I hope not. That I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they try to contact you on Facebook, they're going to be unsuccessful. So. Well, they're going to run into probably some <laughs> Russian oligarch. You know. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, uh, speaking of things that have nothing to do with Russian oligarchs, last night was the Super Bowl. I mean, this episode will air on Tuesday, but when we're recording it, yeah. So uh, let's talk about the game first. Rams beat the Bengals 23-20 in what was a good competitive football game. It was game. a good competitive football game, which I was a little nervous at the beginning because I think the Rams came out and scored scored twice early. Uh, yes, I think so. And I was getting a little nervous it would get out of hand. Yes. Though that's been so, – like Cincinnati, that happened when they played the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs got up quick. And then it's like the Bengals kind of figured – the defense figures things out. Yeah. And they figure out a way to kind of stop what you want to do. I think that Bengals defensive line was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I thought they played great. They did. Yeah, the defense for the Bengals was very good. Um, I think uh, what was not very good for the Bengals was their offensive line. Oh, yeah. Like I remember uh, 
there was a stat shown like maybe like halfway through the first – halfway through the third quarter, they were noting, wow, Joe Burrow has only been sacked once. And then like early fourth quarter, they put up a stack a, – a stat that Joe Burrow has now been sacked seven times in the game, tying the record with Roger Staubach. Um, one of my favorite moments of the game – and – you know how they shoot the they, – they do like press day with the athletes yeah. and they get in like a green screen and like hold up the number one finger or, you know, yeah. do, do stuff like that. They did that with Matthew Stafford and Joe Burrow. OK. Matthew Stafford's stat was he was the most intercepted quarterback to make it to a Super Bowl ever. And he's up there like pounding <laughs> his chest, giving the, you know, the, yeah. the number one finger. And then Joe Burrow's stat – and they put them side by side – Joe Burrow's stat was the most sacked quarterback ever to make it to a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I just remember them like beating their chest, and you know, over over this, I'm just like, I'm I'm sure these guys weren't thinking that they no. were going to show this stat while they did those actions yeah. on the green screen. Yeah, absolutely. I so. thought that was very funny. Yes. Um, any thoughts on the officiating? Well, they missed they missed the they missed a big one with the face uh, face mask on Jalen Ramsey. I think they missed two big ones. What was the other one? The so-called pass interference call on the Bengals late in the game on a third and goal from like the eight or nine where they called defensive pass interference and the replay showed that's not defensive pass interference. There wasn't really much there. So it gave the the Rams first and goal at the mm. one or two there. And then there were a couple other flags on that drive too as well. Yeah. Now, again – I I would see those sort of evening out because I think both of those led to touchdowns. Yeah. And so that's kind of a, a wash to me. Like I don't think either team can – could. You know, I don't think the Bengals can look at that and go, gosh, the refs call, cost us a game. Well, you got away with an offensive pass interference that got you a touchdown. So, yeah, a pretty bad one. Yeah. yeah. Let's you – know. But it's interesting. Uh, the first half, there was very few flags. What did you think of the flag <laughs> – I think the I'd... first flag of the game that was thrown when the Bengals scored the touchdown and some random guy in flip-flops runs onto the field. And shorts and a t-shirt, yeah. And celebrates with the team. Now, he's, a, I believe, a player who's on the injured list maybe. I think that's right, yeah. But they couldn't identify him. <laughs> yeah. And they just went, this guy out here, I mean, clearly a player. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for some reason was on the field. Bizarre. Like, it's almost like it's – you think – has this guy never been on the sidelines of a professional football game? Like he's got to know you can't. Do you can't that. do that. You know what? It may not have been a touchdown. It may have been an interception in the end zone um, because they got it at the twenty. That's right. And it was an interception. To, they moved it back to the half 10. the distance yeah. to the ten. Yeah, yeah. Weird. Just like what's going on? Why is that guy out there in shorts and a t-shirt? I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. That was bizarre. So. Um, I was a little surprised at the play calling on Cincinnati's last drive. They got it to third and third and one, ran the ball, couldn't get it. Fourth and one, tried to throw the ball. Aaron, Don uh, Aaron Donald got to Joe Burrow, Burrow forced yeah. a, a desperation throw that was incomplete. Yeah. So I was a little surprised uh, at that. I mean, I think most people, given Burrow's success, were just kind of expecting he's at least going to get him down the field to kick a field goal. And they got to midfield. I mean, they and but isn't that kind of Cincinnati's mo? They can't put a drive together, but they can put together one big play. Yeah, that was yeah. kind of what they were the whole game, even. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it'll be interesting to see how 
how much Cincinnati will go after trying to dramatically upgrade that offensive line. Yeah. Because to me, it seems like that's that's the missing piece. Mm -hmm. If they have a – right now they have a very ordinary at best, I think might be generous. Yeah. Offensive line. If they had a good offensive line, they would be scary. Mm -hmm. And last year, the Chiefs had issues in the Super Bowl. Their offensive line got run through by the Patri- by the Buccaneers. Yeah. And uh, they went out and basically replaced everybody on that offensive line. Yeah. So you wonder if the Bengals will do something similar where they just clean house on that offensive line. Yeah. But but good showing for that young team, you know. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody expected them to be there. No. No. So um what about uh commercials? I, I'll confess, I saw very few. I was just not paying attention. I was in conversation. Yeah, I, I wasn't uh, wasn't paying attention to many commercials. I saw a few. Yeah. Um, my uh, favorite commercial, because I was having a conversation with a guy in my life group, and we're sitting there talking, and I just look at it up at the TV, and it looks like one of those old screensavers bouncing around. But it's the QR code. It's the QR code? Yes. Did, that- you, did you scan the QR code? No. I did. It's a crypto thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's to buy. It's Coinbase. It's it's yeah, yeah. To buy yeah, crypto. We actually were talking about that at, in our at our Super Bowl party as well. I thought that was a clever commercial. Oh, it's genius because it costs almost nothing to make. Like the technology yep. to make that commercial, you can make a QR code for free on the internet, right? And get right it to now. bounce around the screen. Like you, you could mm-hmm. probably. Call up a, a, a even a semi tech savvy junior high kid and be like, I could make that. Yep. So you're not paying big bucks to actually make the commercial. You're only paying big bucks to get it aired during that slot. And everybody was talking about it. Yeah. And Twitter, you know, Twitter was ablaze. And you know, people's curiosity for the most part. Me, it's me, the contrarian, who's like, I'm not going to be the. I'm, I'm not going to fall for it. That's kind of mm-hmm. my mindset. Like. And uh, yeah, it, it, but it worked. I just had to know who paid for that, you know, because I think it was going something like seven million for thirty seconds yeah. in the Super Bowl. Sure, I wanted to know who paid for that, <laughs> and then it made sense. Crypto, yeah, yeah. Um, seems like a lot of crypto gambling and mm-hmm. alcohol. Yes, those seem to be like ninety percent. And movie trailers—that's the other thing. Yes, and one that did catch my attention is they—they—they they, they played a trailer for the Lord of the Rings series. Oh that yeah, Amazon is pouring a billion dollars into. I'm skeptical. You're skeptical of it? Oh yeah. In what way? Um, I mean, they came out and tried to promo it and use the words "tasteful nudes" uh, along with the words "Lord of the Rings." <laughs> that didn't that didn't ring true to me. <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that on the podcast, I don't know I, if we need to put the e on there now. But. You just did. Um, <laughs> well, I think I don't know. So I do follow. There is like one one or two like Lord of the Rings accounts on Twitter that I follow, and there's been a pretty raging discussion about would Tolkien have approved of some more um, – of some of the hints of the direction that this Amazon series could go in terms of making it a little less family friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, there's all over the map. You know, you've got your people who are like, he was Catholic. <laughs> 
He was like he he's not he was not gonna he would not have gone for. And then others like, well, but he he read feminist literature and and so it's 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 just another example of how here's somebody from the past that two ends of a spectrum are both trying to use mm-hmm. for their own agendas. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. So, but I I too I I. I would like it to be good. I want it to be good, but I do fear that they're going to, um, you know, try to make it a little bit too much like Game of Thrones, where it's like, okay, you're yep. going out of your way to make it more explicit, mm-hmm. uh, edgier, and and in so doing, alienating. I think probably a pretty big chunk of Tolkien's the fan hard, base. Yeah, the the hardcore ones. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Anyway, um, anything else on the uh, on the Super Bowl? Oh, any highlights from the food at your Super Bowl? Party? Um, my wife made some delicious sliders. Yeah. It was like Hawaiian bun. Have you seen those? The yep. Ho- yep. so Hawaiian uh, buns. Yep. Uh, two slices of Swiss ham. Two more slices of Swiss caramelized onions. Yeah. Honey mustard. Delightful. Yeah, that does sound good. Baked in the oven, delightful. Yeah, good stuff. Very good, indeed. Um, at our Super Bowl party, we have a, a guy in our life group who likes to make sourdough pizza. Oh so yeah, we brought yeah. that over and like we baked it in our oven. So oh sweet, it was very good, very good. And um, we both of our Super Bowl parties, of course, had buffalo chicken dip from yes. Doppler Heidi. Yeah. Yeah, the the buffalo chicken dip that will kill you um, if you it's eat too so much. Good, of it. It's so good. Yeah, so good. Once a year is fine. Yeah, yeah. A, a steady diet of that. Yeah. Not so much, but I, I think I woke up with reasonably bad heartburn in the in the middle of the night. Not just because of that, because okay. of the totality of the food I ate. So, do you keep tums on like the nightstand in that moment? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm I've, That's next level. I've reached the, that age. So, uh, quickly now, uh, do you want to give a Winter Olympics update? I've not watched a single. Been watching curling. The American men are a lot of fun to watch. Okay, just as as humans. Yes. Uh, one quick NBA note: James Harden traded to Philly. Traded yeah. to Philly. Ben Simmons going to the Nets. We'll see if that how that materializes. And Major League Baseball still still can't. Agree on anything. Oh, yeah. It doesn't look good. Yeah. We're getting ready to miss baseball, I think. 100%. 100%. Yeah, At least spring training baseball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's no way that's... Which isn't the end of the world, you know? Yeah, but you're getting into that window where it's going to be hard to start the regular season on time. Yes. And you need... Now, they geared up in, I think, two or three weeks, uh, two years ago mm-hmm. for the season. But they still have, like, Free agents out there. Yeah, you know they need they need at least a week of that to negotiate contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a mess. That's a mess. Well, let's move on to our main topic today, John. Um, you sent me this article a, a while ago. The actual article, I think it dates from like I don't have the date on your app, but I want to say it was it was in December, like late December yeah. of twenty twenty one. So you kind of flagged this as something that'd be interesting to talk about. It's entitled. Uh, How Religious Are Americans? And it comes from the Gallup organization. They do uh, polling and and research on these issues. And and from what I gather, this is is something that they do 
regularly. I don't think they do it every year, mm-hmm. but clearly this is something on some of these metrics that we'll talk about go back um, decades where they've been tracking the responses to these questions. Yeah, I think back to the 60s or the 70s maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, in some cases for sure. So – 1950, I see on here. Yeah, let's uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about some of the key findings because I do think uh, this will be a subject that is relevant to us, those of us in the sort of the the ministry world, but also even just believers in general who yeah, believers in America who, at least who, who want yeah. to understand um, a little bit of the the landscape when it comes to uh, the culture that we live in. So uh, you want to start with kind of the big picture findings here, John, like that they, they start kind of generic and then, and then move more specific. Yeah. So one of the questions they ask is is kind of – and I don't have the exact wording here, but but what, what religion do you identify with? Are yes. you Christian, non-Christian, Buddhist, Jewish, mm-hmm. atheist? Like we're, we're nothing in particular. Uh, what do you identify with? And um, – Christian, I believe in 2021, they had 69% of Americans identify as Christian. That's correct. So that includes both Protestant and Catholic and those fall into some other sort of Christian religion or simply just generically Christian. So 69%. Um, And how how do you compare that over the last several decades? I mean, I'm looking at the line graph here. It's certainly declining. Yes. yeah, as they note, in the 1940s through the early 70s, more than 90 percent of Americans identified with a Christian religion. Uh, so, that, so we're down from that to 69 percent. And as you might expect, uh, there's been a corresponding spike in uh, the percentage of Americans who identify with no particular religion at all, sort of the – what have come to become known as the the nuns. The nuns, yeah. Not N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. <laughs> so um, – Yes, a N-U-N would, would, would still be in our 69%. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so uh, that number is up to 21% of the American population identifies as nuns. Yeah, I mean from, from – 1980 where it looks like it was at maybe 5%. So so it's on a it's on a not a rocket ship, but but it's slowly increasing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um uh, so th- that's that's interesting in and of itself, I think. Um let's move on. You want, do you want to talk more about that or do you want to work through some of the data and then circle back to whatever you want? Let's let's work through some of the data and and Okay. Then come back to f- to talk about interesting things. Okay. Um, so the next thing they talk about is how in- the importance of religion to Americans. Mm-hmm. H- how important is this? Uh, and so this isn't any particular demographic, but but just how it you know how important is it? Yes. Um, the percent that say it's very important is about half, forty nine percent, and yes. that's down from oh closer to. Well, in the fi- the 60s, it looks like it was at its height in the – what would you put that at, 75? Uh, in 1965, 70 percent said religion was very important. So that's kind of the peak is when it looks like. Yeah. And then it looks like it middled from about 1980 to 2000, hovering right around 60. 
percent, mm-hmm. and now it's it's moved to forty nine. So that that's on the decline as well. Yeah, and when you add the the sort of combined total, so you've got forty nine percent say very important, another twenty seven percent say it's fairly important. And that leaves 25 percent. I'm not sure. Some of those numbers must be rounded because 49 and 27 gets you to 76 sure. and then 76 and 25 gets you to 101. But basically there's some rounding in there. The, the number I want to get is 25 percent say it's not very important mm-hmm. in their lives, 25 percent of the American population. Uh, anything else in that um, – Anything else in that category you want to hit on? Um, not necessarily. I don't know if I find that one as interesting as, as the next one, um, really. Uh, self-reported church attendance mm-hmm. I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's interesting because it, it starts relatively low. So I think this would be people who self-report that they've attended church in the last seven days. And we should note this This also, though the predominant category is going to be church, but does include synagogue and I think – Synagogue, mosque, yeah, temple. Basically any yeah. religious service I think is how they – yeah, in the last seven days. Let's start with that one. So in the 40s, it starts at about 40 percent, climbs to almost 50 percent in the 60s and has moved to about 29 percent yeah. uh, here in the last – oh – Last 10 years, it's moved from 40 to 29. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think that's pretty interesting that there seems to be less and less attendance at church. And then the, I think the next graph pairs well with it. Like church membership uh, has moved from, what is that, 73 all the way to 47. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I, I think um, it's, it is striking when you – Go a little bit deeper here. Twenty-two percent of Americans report they attend religious services every week, with another nine percent saying they do so almost every week, and eleven percent saying they attend about once a month. Now, it I do wonder, and I think if I remember this, I can't find it immediately. Oh, there it is. Um, they do note that uh, th- since these are numbers are from 2021 during COVID, mm-hmm. and I don't know at what point in 2021 they took the data. Uh, I read it. It was May and December. So it was two different phone campaigns. Okay. So May and December. They do note that this these numbers include both virtual and in-person hmm. numbers. So people could – you know, so if someone said, well – we can't go to church because of government lockdowns or whatever, but I've been watching what our church has put out every week or I've – like then that counts. So that's a caveat. And l- lest someone think, well, sure, COVID means people couldn't come, so the numbers sure. are lower than that. Well, that's, this accounts for that. Yeah, and I – sort of a similar caveat in the church membership end of things. Uh, there are several churches that don't have membership. Um, right. I, I have my qualms with that, but it's a reality that's out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and I wonder. It, it would be interesting to maybe do the deeper dive. Do they account for that? Meaning, um, I'm not sure how they define that, because I, I I wonder if even if a church doesn't have membership formally, 
do they just then count? Well, our typical Sunday morning is X is, you know, 75 people or 700 people or whatever the number is. Yeah. So it's hard. I'm, I'm sure somewhere they probably give some explanation of that question. But in any case, um, the the numbers there. Go ahead and, and hit us with the numbers under church membership. Well, I mean, it starts at seventy three and has a. It was pretty steady until probably two thousand. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think two thousand. What's the number there? Seventy, and then it dropped to forty seven uh, in the yep. last twenty one years. Yes, and there's a, there's a steady drop there, so it's not like, you know, it was at seventy until twenty nineteen, and then right. and, you know dropped. But there seems to be a steady decline. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, 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 their closing paragraph does say the, the decline in formal church membership has largely been driven by younger generations of Americans, which I do think is true. Uh, about one in three U.S. young adults have no religious affiliation. So there's that nuns again, probably, mm-hmm. mostly. Yeah. Um, and signaling that although the the larger number for the totality of the population is lower than that, it seems especially pronounced among younger adults in, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also note many young adults who do identify with the religion nevertheless do not belong to a church. And even older adults who have a religious preference are less likely to belong to a church today than in the past. All those things ring true, I think, with our experience. Yeah. So, so what do you make of when you see? I mean, I mean, there's some pretty depressing data here for the churchmen. Um. What? What? Do you, what how do you? How do you think about this when you come across? I don't that? know. I mean, the, at one level, of course. This can be discouraging, sure. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean I would say that I think it also provides some opportunities, meaning I think that oftentimes in this kind of survey data and even in our experience, one of the challenges that pastors and churches can face more so in some parts of the country than others – is the whole sort of nominal Christianity mm-hmm. that's just, well, uh, I'm a good person. makes sense to be belong, belong formally to a church that maybe I show up once a month on holidays maybe a few sure. times a year. Um, but no active living faith. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of culturally that's kind of the thing you do in certain parts of the country. That can make it challenging, I think, to do ministry in those contexts because you have a large percentage of people who think they're Christians but by a biblical definition are not. Mm -hmm. So that shapes your ministry differently, I think. I also think that as that nominal Christianity begins to fade and decline, there are more opportunities for making a compelling case for genuine, faithful Christianity, a Christianity that – um, is unapologetic about following Jesus and trying to live out uh, obedience to him. Uh, so I think there can be some opportunities where in those kind of contexts where nominal Christianity thrives, that it can actually be a detriment to the spread of the gospel because mm-hmm. everyone's like, well, gosh, come on, everybody's a Christian. And th- then there's those people who are like, you maybe you take it a little too seriously. Like, 
Easy yeah. now. Come on. Like, you know, it's good enough to show up to church every week and throw your money in the offering plate and, you know, be kind to people. But let's not get too serious about, you know, those fanatic people who are like really serious about following Jesus kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's my takeaway as well. Um, the I think I think they've been called the mushy middle. Um, mm-hmm. the, the nominal Christian is sort of fading away. Uh, the lines becoming a bit starker between Christian, non-Christian, and, and I ultimately think that's a good thing for several reasons you just outlined. Yeah, and I think the part of the impetus for that ends up being cultural pressures. Largely, is mm-hmm. that we used to live in a culture where Christianity was at least in some nominal sense, ex- largely at least acceptable to a vast majority of people. Even helpful. And saying, uh, yeah. culturally, this is a, probably a good thing that mm-hmm. that most people go to church and you know get some morals in them kind of thing. And I, I heard a story once of a guy who came to the United States from, I, I can't remember, somewhere in Europe. He moved here, went to a bank to apply for a, for a mortgage, and the, and the bank lender asked him, so where do you go to church? The guy goes, why does that matter? <laughs> and the guy responds like, "Well, I you don't lend to people who don't go to churches, you know. You know, that, that would just be insane, you uh-huh. know." And so there, at, there was a time in America's past, you know, on this chart somewhere, where in mm-hmm. certain areas of the country it was a it was a net benefit to be a part of a church. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think that th- those days in most parts of our country are gone or soon to be gone. Sure depending again on where you live. Um, Let's think a little bit about uh, sort of the evangelistic task then in light of this. What what would you say are some things then that maybe we should reflect on when it comes to trying to reach a culture where these trends are happening? What do we do to try to reach a culture? Um, Yeah, I I think the – one one of the things that comes to mind, and I think it's tangentially related to evangelism. I, I think a robust understanding of faith and work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being able to connect your work to your faith and and share your faith uh, while at work. I think that's. I think more and more as people, um, as people, as, as their work becomes their community mm-hmm. in a number of ways. You know, there's less friendship. Uh, outside of work, uh, they don't have these uh, groups like churches to to meet and gather, or firemen's unions, or mm-hmm. you know the Knights of Columbus, or you know wh- whoever's gathering. Right? Yeah. Th- those are becoming less and less attended, uh, and so I, I think a robust understanding of faith and work will help us share uh, and, ev- and evangelize going forward. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What do you think of? I think. Uh, we, what it means in general is that we have to be ready to do more pre-evangelistic work in addition to just evangelism, mm. meaning that uh, for a good number of people you might encounter in, a, um, in an evangelistic conversation, you might have to do more uh, putting some foundations in place before you can actually probably share the sort of straightforward basic gospel message because if you think about uh, – and again, I was on staff with crew, so I'm very familiar with the four spiritual laws. Mm-hmm. I think in, a, in the right context, it can be a really helpful tool in some ways. But uh, if you just jump in in certain conversations today in certain contexts where it's 
God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, humanity is sinful and separated from God because of it. God provides the, you know, provides the answer to our sin by sending his son Jesus to die for it on the cross. And then you must respond in faith to this offer of forgiveness that God gives you, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, 50 years ago when you said the word God, the vast majority of people in our in our culture would have had probably at least some loose, rough understanding of a Judeo-Christian understanding of who God is. That would sure. be their starting point. If you, if you say the word God, they're probably thinking in some loose sense about uh, the, 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 the Judeo-Christian understanding of God, even if they have a complete misunderstanding of that. That's mm-hmm. kind of the starting point. Well, that's not necessarily the case anymore. So now you're going to have to probably explain a little bit more about when, you, when you're talking about God, who is God? Yeah. What is he like? What is he not like? And then even just sin. Well, what is sin? You know, I, so a lot of those terms that are embedded in that basic gospel conversation, I think because of our cultural moment, we have to do a little bit more pre-evangelism to prepare people to think rightly about those terms and then yeah. sometimes some explanation of that. Um, I also think that when, when you present God, I think there, there's more of an appetite for today to go after the premise of the question, you know, mm-hmm. to, to go after the premise of the argument and go, well, you know, I don't believe in God. I believe we're all God floating through space, determining our own mm-hmm. ends, sort of, a, sort of a thing. So, so I think defining those terms very, very concretely are the right. way forward. And, and here's where um, I would, again, probably, I think I've mentioned th- this on the podcast before, but this is where the work of uh, my friend Randy Newman in mm. his writings has has done so much good stuff in terms of um he, he wrote his first book was called questioning evangelism and it's a bit of a play on words because he's not like calling into question the practice of evangelism should we do it he's saying no 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 we should use thoughtful questions when doing evangelism mm. to get people to think to prompt them to either recognize, I don't have an answer for that. What do you think about that? Or even just to for them to become more self-aware about what they do actually think that they've maybe never specifically articulated. Hmm. Uh, so I would I would highly recommend his his work uh, in that area. Um, I also thought uh, of another area. So that's kind of like in the area of evangelism. I also thought about this in terms of ministry in the church. So what does this look like within ministry in the church? And I know we do have uh, a chunk of our audience is pastors or people who teach in the church. And here's where I think um, it's probably important for more and more pastors and preachers and teachers to not assume that people know what you think they might know about the Bible or about theology words or things like that, even to the point of when it comes to, okay, everyone open your Bibles to Deuteronomy. Well, it may not be the worst thing to say. Now, Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you always need filler words while people are turning the pages of their Bibles, right? right. So I think yeah. it, I think it's just smart to 
um, to not assume that people, even who have showed up to church, have necessarily a have a working knowledge sure. of the Bible or even like theology terms like justification, sanctification, um, predestination, like terms that that sometimes get thrown around that we don't stop and say and, – and when we talk about justification, we mean this. This is what this term means or redemption. Like there, there can be this kind of church lingo that sometimes we, we don't even realize. Mm-hmm. And then you get people who are – who don't come from you know, church backgrounds or anything like that and you realize, wait a minute. Like I'm assuming that they know what that term means. I, I need to do more explaining. Mm-hmm. And you can do it in a way that's not condescending too. Like that can be done in a condescending way or it can be done in a gracious, helpful way. So I think uh, that's another area. Anything else in terms of the in terms of church ministry? I, I think th- I think some of it's dependent upon context. Sure. Um, if you find yourself in a very church friendly area of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I still think there's a good amount of nominal Christians that are out there. And, oh, so, and, so, and so preaching to them and, and knowing your context a little bit, uh, knowing that uh, that we have people who have grown up in church and this is part of their culture and, and preaching to them as well. Mm-hmm. I also think that along with that, in connection with knowing your context is understanding that depending on your context, it's going to be more and more difficult to invite people and actually get them to come to church. Mm-hmm. That when that's going to happen, it's going to be more likely a relational connection, meaning if you encourage your people to talk with neighbors and coworkers about the gospel, um, oftentimes you might they might have to do a, a, a good bit of kind of laying the groundwork before they'd ever – be willing to say, well, why don't you why don't you come to the Christmas Eve service that we're doing, or we're having this, you know, this yeah. this service on Sunday. Like we've been really blessed by our, our experience at this church. Like when you have a, a percentage of the people who are not naturally going to darken the door of a church, oftentimes it's going to take the personal invitation to get someone to show up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Anything else on that? I don't think so. Uh, we'll link the article in the show notes. It's uh, yeah. it's fun to look at data. I mean, I, I know we both enjoy charts and looking at them and trying to interpret them a little bit. Right. It can just be a helpful window into understanding oftentimes, I think, what we experience already and having some more specific evidence to say, oh, OK, that, that, that seems to resonate with my experience of there are fewer people going to church or there are fewer people who openly identify as a Christian or more people who don't identify with any specific religion. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to this day in sports history. Yeah. Uh, 1978, February 15th. So yes, when February this 15th. drops, yep. but yeah. Uh, 1978, uh, Leon Spinks beats Muhammad Ali. In uh, in fifteen rounds for heavyweight boxing title, has there ever been a point where you followed boxing at all? There was a reality show <laughs> run by uh, oh goodness, uh, Mike Tyson. No, it was no. I don't think Mike Tyson could follow direction on a TV uh, show. By oh my goodness, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, uh, plays Rocky. 
Sylvester oh, Stallone. Stallone. Yeah. There he goes. Uh, hosted by him where they where they did these things and I okay. followed it a little bit in there but that was about it no boxing has fallen off the map as it a has. sport yes it has uh 96 um the NFL <laughs> I don't write the copy I just copied it from the website John the NFL coach coaching maestro yes <laughs> uh Belichick is fired by Cleveland uh finishing his Browns coaching career with a record of 36 and 44 Yes, indeed. Uh, 1998, uh, the 40th Daytona 500, Dale Earnhardt's only Daytona win uh, in his 20th start, snaps a 59-race winless streak. Okay. Do you follow NASCAR at all? No. Okay, I didn't think so. Uh, 2004, uh, the Daytona 500, it must run about this time of year, Dale Earnhardt Jr. wins exactly six years to the day after his father, Dale Earnhardt Sr., Won his first and only Daytona 500 win in 98. Yes. Whew. <laughs> One more. <laughs> uh, 2018, Denver's uh, Ser- Serbian center, uh, Nikola Jokic, Jokic, Jokic. Jokic records fastest triple-double in NBA history, 14 minutes and 33 seconds. Uh, in the Nuggets, 134-123 win at Milwaukee. Jokic. Finished with 30 points, 17 assists, and 15 rebounds. Yeah, so basically he got to at least 10 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists a mere 14 minutes and 33 seconds into the game. That's impressive. Wow, that is impressive. The second quarter. Yes, early second quarter. Early second quarter. Yeah. Man. So um, any of those that you like? Probably the Joker. Yeah. That's probably where I'm at. Okay, I can go with that. Uh, I mean, NASCAR doesn't do anything for me. Um, no, and anytime I see Dale Earnhardt's name, all I think is like, he died in a in a vicious yeah. car crash. I yeah. think at Daytona. I, yeah, that could have been. I was expecting that to be the next one as I was reading <laughs> reading down them. Um, yeah, I mean, we we got some uh, we we got an irate text from Nate in Ohio given last week's uh, last episode's um, mention of. A certain owner who moved the Browns from Cleveland to Baltimore. And that we said his name, apparently. Yeah, which, apparently that's yeah. – uh, it's not an FCC rule, but it is a Nate from Ohio rule that yeah, you can't apparently. utter that name. So, um, so we're going to go with Jokic. Jokic, yeah. And that's impressive. Yeah, I can go with that. One thing you liked. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to mention the Olympics. I'm, I'm enjoying the American men curling team. <laughs> Uh, have you seen a photo of them? <laughs> I think I did. It was the caption of like this look – basically like they just kind of look like ordinary – not middle-aged men, but like, you know. I, non, I think middle-aged is appropriate. Yeah. Non-athletic men. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites is one of the guys from uh, – I think he's from Wisconsin. Uh, Matt, Matt Hamilton has this beautiful mustache and really long hair and apparently – like is has a GoFundMe to raise money for cancer research or so, something like okay. that with his hair and okay you know they 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 throw those stones and I think curling's a fascinating game so I've been watching every game that I can. I, I want to say that the last time there was um, the Winter Olympics that there was some organization in Fort Wayne that held like a hey if you want to come learn curling. Yeah, the Fort Wayne Curling Club, probably. Yeah, probably yeah. something like that. Um, but that just that does look like one of those sports where you're like, 
okay, it requires no athleticism. Yeah, very little. I, I would stick with none. <laughs> I mean, there's some coordination involved in terms of, you know, how aggressively you push the stone and then the vigorous the, – the, 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 how vigorously you uh, sweep the ice. Mm-hmm. Is that what's called sweeping? Yeah, or, yeah, sweeping. Okay. Yeah, but um, I don't think anyone would say, man, you need, you, you need some measure of athleticism to probably do that well. No, you don't. Endurance maybe for all that sweeping? I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. Um, but props to them, man. I mean it takes I, I, it takes dedication. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, these people are investing hours upon hours every week. The Olympic athletes voted that John Schuster, the captain, carry the American flag at the opening <laughs> ceremonies. He is a rock star. <laughs> okay. If a, yeah. Anyway. If you can be a rock star in the world of yep. curling. Yeah. And and be from Duluth. If you could be a rock star from Duluth. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, my one thing I liked, uh, I'm working my way through a book by uh, by my friend uh, Jim Hamilton entitled Typology, Understanding the Bible's Promised Shape Patterns or How Old Testament Expectations Are Fulfilled in Christ. Uh, very good book. It is a little bit more technical. Uh, you can. It does a lot of work in the Hebrew text in trying to show you connections between mm-hmm. passages. Uh, you can still benefit from it without knowing Hebrew because he does a good job of explaining things. But um, it's you know it helps. It's not a light read, I'll put yeah. it, but it is fascinating. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, he and uh, another guy named Sam Amadi do a, a podcast that I know I've mentioned on here. It's called yeah. Bible Talk. And they're just working their way through the entirety of the Old Testament, kind of chapter by chapter, pointing out biblical theology connections and how things point to Christ and that kind of thing. Uh, And I think they're now in numbers. So they've worked through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and they're in numbers, I think. And I think think Jim was Sam's uh, uh, PhD PhD advisor. Mentor, yeah. That's probably right. Probably right. Yeah. I think I think I think Sam had to take him out to dinner and tell him he wasn't a premillennialist. <laughs> yes, because Jim's such a committed premillennialist. He is. He is. Yeah, I think it was pretty damaging to their relationship at the time. But I think obviously they've recovered. <laughs> they've, they've recovered. Yeah, they've recovered. All right. So we've talked Super Bowl. We've talked about declining church numbers. Uh, we've talked. Uh, a lot of Dale Earnhardt. A lot of Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, Jokic, and his uh, triple-double. Uh, we've talked about um, a book I'm reading, and we've talked about curling. Of course. So I think, by definition, that is our various and sundry topics. Are you ready to call Mission Accomplished? Yep, I think so. Well, in light of that, all that's left to do is say, until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.